A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Welcome, everyone, to the Small Machine Talks. My name is A.M. Kozak. And I'm Amanda Earl. And today it, we're, we have a special guest with us, uh, Natalie Hanna. So Natalie is a welcome, Natalie, I should say. Thank you. Uh, so she is an Ottawa lawyer and ex-English major and author of various chapbooks. In April of 2016, it was learned through radar that Shakespeare's ghost. Oh, sorry, I'm just reading. I'm reading about the uh, the chapbook. The chapbook, her chapbook is... Uh, is cutting up and we'll talk a bit about more about that too so i'm not going to read that but uh right now but i will say she's also the admin director of the sawdust reading series and arc board member and she runs the wonderful badlax press which is a small press here in town so i will tell you more about shakespeare's skull in a little while so stay tuned yeah so we're gonna interview natalie have uh, we have five questions for her and um, if you're, it's okay with you, I'll jump right into it. Please go ahead. All right. Our first question for you is, uh, you were writing and publishing your poetry in the late 90s and have returned to sharing your poetry and being active in the literary community in the aughts. What was it like to return? And what was the literary scene in Ottawa like for you in the 90s and how has it changed? Well, it was, it was both difficult and wonderful to return. Uh, when I stopped being active in the community, we had Tree and Sasquatch and Dusty Owl and your mm. series from time to time yeah. too, Amanda. Yeah, Quarterly Journal, yeah. Yes, and, um, but when I came back, you know, we, we still had Tree, but then we had an amazing multiplicity of other venues as well, Factory and Railroad and Inwards and uh, for a while the AB series and Plan 99 and, and My Own Sawdust uh, with uh, with our team there and now Cap Slam and Blue Mondays and Urban Legends and um, Origin Studios and Verse Fest and I, I feel like we're completely spoiled for for choice mm. now it just goes on and I felt that in the 90s it was really such an intimate scene and we were usually able to to get out to one another's shows all the time when we all knew each other and uh, and now um, I feel like I can never get to all of the events right. that I want to and uh, get to every chat book out there that's being produced but I I, I want those options there. Uh, and the small press publishing scene also has really developed. Um, the the quantity and the quality of what we're producing in Ottawa is is wonderful. I mean, we still we still have above ground press going so strong, but also Cameron uh, Anstey's uh, Apartment Nine Press, which is an award winning press, and and Pearl Peary's Favors, and uh, of course Angel House and Devil House, and yeah. and Bywords Online, uh, and uh, Marilyn Irwin started Shrieking Violet. Jeff Blackman started Horse Broke. Uh, we have the Inwards Chat Book series as well. And uh, so we're, we're really, we're spoiled here. I'm really happy to see uh, the strength of, of all of these uh, presses and, and the collaborative work that's going around between artists. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's... Have you noticed that the small press scene has, has taken off then in the past two decades or so? Yes, I mean, what we had before was small but strong. Okay. And uh, we just we just have many more opportunities now, which is great because there are so many up and coming young authors who are always looking for a place, scouting out a place mm -hmm. uh, that might be willing to accept that kind of work. And so I think we're very open to that. Now, because there's more, like you described, a lot more venues than there were in the past, do you think that, that we're, there's also more diversity in what's being offered or is it just a lot more volume? 
Well, I think that by necessity, there's a lot more diversity. I mean, you'll see a lot more people of, of color in various yeah. different uh, backgrounds and uh, and, uh, and sexual orientations uh, heading up reading series as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really to our to our benefit. Mm-hmm. What a nice radio voice you have. Oh, wow, thank you. Great. I, I immediately want you to, 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 to be at all our podcasts now. When Where were you between when you were in Ottawa um, when, from when you left and came back? What other cities? Uh, I, was, uh, uh, I was living in Brampton for several years uh, okay. for, for work-related purposes, and I didn't come back to Ottawa until uh, early 2012. So okay. I've been back since that time. Have you noticed a difference between, we talked a bit about the small press in Ottawa, and, and to me... I've, I've moved around a little bit. The small press scene here has always seemed especially strong compared to other cities. Would, would you agree with that conceptualization or do you think that's an Ottawa's strong suit in particular? I think it is one of our strong suits. I'm, a, I'm not well placed to tell you about other regions. Right. right. Um, I know Montreal is starting to develop. I couldn't speak to you about Vancouver, but I do hear that they, they, they have a thriving scene as well mm-hmm. and uh, Toronto as well. But uh, certainly places like uh, where I was staying for a few years, Brampton didn't really have any of that type of community mm-hmm. uh, going on. So now it, it has a a something new yes. in Brampton is it's mm-hmm. new. Uh, there's a new festival of uh, literary diversity called the fold and that that's going to happen in may so that this is going to be the second one that's that's new that is and it would be really lovely to have a chance to go back and see what they're doing with it it'll be on my wish list uh, later (laughs) in the yeah any uh follow-ups or should we move on to question two Oh, I was going to ask you, uh, you had a, a chapbook with Above Ground Press's stanzas, yes. which is for long, you, it, it's now no longer around. I'm always trying to convince Rob to start it up again. It's for um, long poems and poem yes. series. Uh, what was, the, was that your first chapbook? Was that one or... I uh, no, I think that was uh, that. I mean, I did have some some small self published ones right. uh, prior to that. That might have been the first one that was published by a different press. Yes, but I think that was twenty years ago. Oh, now. That's so great. Yes, yeah. Was it a long poem? Or? It was a long poem. It was a sequence of, of poems uh, about my mother and oh, wow. uh, and the breakup uh, of our family. Yeah. And so it necessitated a long poem to be manageable and digestible that way. That's great. I I, I want to. We'll have to ask Rob if he can dig up copies. He'll <laughs> see if it's still around. I'd love to. I'd love to read it. I think I, I think I might have his last two copies. Ah, but I'll bring you one. <laughs> that that would be lovely. I'd love that. All right, and, just, and before moving on to the next question, I, I should add, as someone who has also lived in Ottawa for a period, moved away and come back, mm-hmm. um, coming back is kind of odd because you there's some of the same structures that are in place or same people in the community, but there's also, as you probably can um, back me on it, things change a lot as well. It's kind of an odd feeling of half familiarity and half sort of feeling displaced, at least for me. Um, Very much so. I'd, ag- I'd agree with you completely there. It was uh, uh, in, a, in an awkward kind of way, in an immature kind of way, difficult not to feel resentful of changes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I noticed when I when I left or when I first started getting involved in the Ottawa scene about, about 10 years ago yeah. now, um, the spoken word scene was it was exceptional. And I didn't know at the time how how privileged I was to be able to to witness that and be a part of that. Um, and I think that there's some young people now starting to emerge again in the spoken word scene. But I, I did notice that there it didn't seem to be as much going on, which I thought was is unfortunate. But I'm hoping that as as more younger people are emerging into that uh, area, it'll it'll start to be as um, as dynamic as it was in the past. It has its rhythms. Mm-hmm. Like when I first when I first started um, getting involved in the local literary scene, it was it was very big. It was there were like two mm-hmm. main series 
that were quite hot. And in fact, uh, a lot of open mics were almost exclusive. Well, I don't know about exclusive, but a lot of them, like say you go to the open mic at Nostalgic, it was more spoken word right. than uh, than any other kind of uh, like say uh, like poetry or whatever. So and they had they were doing all kinds of things. It was um, Anthony. Oh, I'm trying to remember his last name. Of course, I, I can't remember the last names now. And Matt, somebody only the Haitian sensation. Like it was really mm. they were really doing well. And then I find they, that we we seem to have like these sort of peaks and valleys right. with, with all of this. Like uh, it's like within where it's like once you guys go I wonder if well well the current right. editors I wonder what it'll be like and it's always a little bit it changes every time right well, mm -hmm. I think especially if, if uh, the a part of the scene is is heavily populated by younger people we're moving around mm -hmm. a lot right especially in this area exactly of, uh, a precarious employment we're moving around and then the, the people who are kind of spearheading a scene move yeah or even then, just get tired of doing things right. that... and they have to do other things yes yeah, so it, it makes sense um, yeah I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon, so you're going to be stuck with an old and decrepit Amanda <laughs> running bywords and Angel House Press for. Well, we for, need all of it. We need it for to as be long cyclical. as we all shall live. <laughs> okay, we're well, married. Well, speaking of presses, uh, this is a probably good segue to question two uh, for Natalie. What made you decide to start Battlelux Press, and how have you find the process of uh, chapbook making and, and such? Uh, well. I missed this scene so much, and it was something that I, I used to take a great deal of, of joy from before. And I had some some good advice uh, from Rob McLennan, who's been a friend and, and mentor for about 20 years now, uh, because I wanted to get back involved in it. But I I, I do have another professional life as well, right. busy one, <laughs> yeah, busy one. And and he suggested to take it at my pace and not feel obliged to take on more projects than I could handle simply because you know something comes across your plate that looks delicious. Right. Mm. Well, one of the the benefits that we have is, is what we were talking about a moment ago that we do have so many small presses in town and there have definitely been times where we've talked to other small presses to say I'd love to take this project on right now but I can't could you take it right? mm. so last year um, I put out um, three chapbooks and four broadsides through the press and that felt about right to do and I'm hoping to keep it at that pace. Mm -hmm. Editing and, and layout of the pieces is, is part of the joy for me because I really like working with authors. Mm. Uh, I really like seeing what they're producing and if, if something needs to be edited I like to, to work together to see how I can bring out the best in their in their work. Um, I mean in terms of the nuts and bolts of it I mean old school we're used to fold and staple parties. I I can uh, see not folder. far from us that we yeah, we've got folders and we've got a long form stapler here and um, in case of emergencies in case of emergencies <laughs> in case uh, something happens at the printers but for me this is a self funded project of love so I take it at my pace yeah no Angel House mm -hmm. we we do all our own yeah. we do printing in house as well mm -hmm. yeah I, w I was thinking too about chapbook making there's something about designing working with other people's work that gives you an insight into like their for instance their layout yes. I'm not going to complain about how how poets don't know how to use tab settings and various <laughs> things but but yeah or don't don't or willfully choose to rebel against standard order which I kind of like but uh, it is interesting to see you really have a close-up view of their choices very more much. than just the words but they're the spaces and mm -hmm. which is very important to the to the meaning Alignment. of the flow of a poem exactly as well. yeah, yeah. So there's always that balance between uh, between wanting to respect where they were going with their work, mm -hmm. and uh, and just wanting to to craft it finely on the page so that it'll be accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like the pro uh, speaking from an editor's perspective. I really like the process of collaborating with someone and working with someone in that type of project. It's very intimate um, when when you're working with someone on their on their creative work and yeah. and being able to to figure out how to facilitate that, to bring mm -hmm. out what they're, exactly. what they're wanting to do. And also like, you know, throwing in your own opinion as well. It's, 
It's it's a special it's a special yeah. feeling. No, it is. And when you, I find when you learn how to edit other people's stuff, it helps you with your own. Definitely, too. that's yeah. very true. Yeah. So, what is a battle axe, and why did you use it as <laughs> a symbol it. for your press? Well, when I when I was thinking of the word battle axe, I was actually thinking of the negative connotation yeah. for a domineering, overbearing woman. So great, um, <laughs> which is often the perception of feminist women like mm -hmm. myself. Uh, and I hadn't first been thinking of the the weapon called a battle axe, um, but looking into it, I, I learned about Carrie Nation, who was a radical temperance activist, arrested dozens of times in the 1900s for hatchetations. Uh, which was her word for smashing up bars with a hatchet. That's great. Yeah. Hatchetation. So, hatchetation. So, uh, so that you know that her her actions were quite violent and, and polarizing. But this is where we get this idea of a battle axe woman. So I wanted to flip it and I wanted to take this idea sort of tongue in cheek and and make a space for expression of ideas that could include feminist spaces and feminist okay. voices with with some humor. And so, the the logo of the press is a, a sneering, lipsticked mouth, um, smoking an axe like a cigarette. Cool. <laughs> it's great. Did you design the logo? Uh, yes, uh, with thankfully free clip art. Excellent. <laughs> I actually had never heard of that um, battle, that the battle, battle axe, axe, the meaning of the word battle I axe. I am yeah. incredibly delighted to know that you had never heard that. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. On. All right. So, so yeah, I love, I love battle <clears throat> axe. Actually, Angel House is named after the angel of, in the house who's supposed to be quiet and, you know, uh, not do anything but yeah. the cooking and the cleaning. And so I thought I would, I would name Angel House Press that way too. So we have something in cool. common with those <laughs> names. Uh, so about speaking of chapbooks, uh, I have in front of me your lovely cutting up and uh, we've talked about, we, I started to read mm -hmm. what you, what you wrote about this. It says you, um, in April of 2016 it was learned through radar that Shakespeare's skull is not where it was presumed to be so these poems in conversation with a skull were produced in reaction to the circumscribing of women's rights prevailing interpretations of women's experiences Shakespeare's violence toward his female characters and women's process through the legal system so that's that's a really interesting uh, thing so um um, so can you talk, well, you kind of d do it in the bio, but maybe a bit more about the mm -hmm. impetus for the chapbook. Mm -hmm. Well, one of one of the, the major pushes for it was the outcome of the trial of Gian Gameshi in March of 2016. Right. And, and the conversations that happened around what does and does not constitute sexual assault and, and how uh, the court system really is not equipped to address things in a way that give relief or or the traditional concept of justice uh, to a person who's who's been assaulted. And there were also uh, a lot of uh, conversations going on that really needed to, to start happening about how the justice system itself imposes its own trauma as it seeks to protect the right of the accused. <clears throat> so uh, when uh, it just happened in April that uh, they figured out Shakespeare's skull wasn't in the tomb where it was presumed to be, I had started to think about some of the famous women characters yeah. in his works, such as Portia in The Merchant of Venice, who dresses up as a man yeah. uh, to be taken seriously uh, in the eyes of the law. Uh, <clears throat> Lavinia from Titus Andronicus, and Lavinia's mm -hmm. character is based on the myth of uh, Philomela and her escape from a rapist by, by, by begging to be turned into a bird, which is uh, something we'll be discussing yeah. a little bit later. Um, 
and uh, Ophelia from Hamlet, who's who's drowned herself um, uh, ostensibly mm-hmm. because she's gone crazy at everything that's that's going on around her, and Desdemona from Othello, who's who suffers, you know, the end of her life through the jealous rage of a, of a husband. And uh, so I was I was hoping that it would come through well using this device of having a conversation mm-hmm. with his disembodied skull about the violence done to women Great. through various narratives, Hamlet esque. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Pardon me. Although I always think of that scene with uh, in Nightmare Before Christmas. I, oh, I always, yes, yes. Jack Skeleton yes. takes off his, his head and says, you know, because I am dead, I can take off my head. To recite Shakespearean quotation. Exactly. And goes, you know. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. Right. So, so that's the impetus for that thing. So, so yeah. And, and I really, as I wrote a really glowing review of the chapbook too, I, I loved, I loved the chapbook and uh, on the, on talking about um, women's rights and feminism and uh, dealing with subjects such as violence towards women. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, politics and sort of activism and their their role in poetry now i, I mm-hmm. i'm trotting out this i've trotted this out before and it's because it's something that i'm sort of interested in um, I, oh i am interested in it so Auden once said that society must set the artist free that the artist must be free to pursue self-expression art shouldn't be subservient to politics whether right or left orthodoxies this is a quote poetry relying on the primacy of individual sensibility and the often contested right to free expression has a long and vexed historical connection to liberalism what a quote eh? mm-hmm. the quote he said he said he felt that poetry should not make things happen it should not be instrumentalized for a political cause and is harmed by acceding to such uses now your poems often engage with feminism tackling violence against women as do the projects you're involved in such as the recent badlesque press publication the wonderful the bird philomela an anthology that addressed sexual assault with the proceeds going to the ottawa rape crisis center or reading for the women's legal education and action fund mm-hmm. i'm wondering what your thoughts are on the merging of political and societal issues and activism with poetry i think it's mm-hmm. a fun question today yeah well and it's and it's complex i hope we can spend a couple of minutes on yeah. this one but um and um, i was thinking about it and i and i think part of what drove Auden to make statements like that is his reconsideration of of his own political poetry. Yes, um, that he he wished in but part to recant exactly. Yeah, yeah. In in later years, for fear that it would be misinterpreted and misused, which it has been ends. actually. It has, and you know, and but I think that that's a natural preoccupation that yeah. a lot of us have. Um, and, you know, once you've released a poem into the wild, you can't really control how it's it's going to mm-hmm. be perceived. And not even necessarily <laughs> just a poem, but also any kind of statement, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, he, he wished for society to set the poet free, but the, the poet can also set society free by mm-hmm. reflecting it back to itself. And I think that there's room for both things there. Right. Uh, you know, if you want to write a, a love poem, if you want to write a poem about the drapes in your grandfather's living room, if you want to write a pastoral, wonderful, I'll read it, I'll enjoy it, right? Um, but for me, the personal is very political. It is. And, yeah. and if you want to set me free as a poet, then you want to set free my story and, and my hopes and my experiences and expectations and my anxiety for where things are going. Um, I, I think that if you firmly think, as Auden said, that, that poetry shouldn't make things happen, then you're rejecting the good that can happen when people find points um, that they can connect to through poetry, uh, especially in terms of places where they thought that they were all alone, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Auden might be mortified 
to know that his poetry was used for political grounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even quite recently in the Women's March, yeah. um, his his poem September first, nineteen thirty nine, the one of the one of the last lines of his stanza was quoted. If I may read the stanza, I, mm-hmm. I will. Go, go for um, it. All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street, and the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. There is no such thing as the state, and no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. That is a profound mm-hmm. political statement mm-hmm. to make. It is, and uh, and then that's it's now being adopted. And he may be horrified, but I mean, this is this is what it is. So I think that there's. Um, obviously a difference between between using rhetoric for dangerous purposes and, and using it to shine the light on yeah. things that are, aren't talked about very often so my my experiences are feminist my yeah. my my life has taken that path um but i have many contemporaries who who are not comfortable identifying that way and that's fine it doesn't stop us from dialogue right yeah i think sometimes too these poems can be a rallying cry like i'm thinking of um i really love i'm trying to find it now um in your chapbook um the poem where you uh talk about um being judged by clothing and i can't remember where is it i'm looking to uh just just play some music while we turn the pages of your (laughs) chapbook and let's see here it's 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 I thought anyway. I just, I just, uh, I thought it would be fun to just maybe just take a little read of it, maybe a little bit of it. But of course, I can't even would it, find is it. Is it oh, like, here it's, it's called only uh, that one. Yeah, just could you could you just read? Would you mind? Is that okay? As soon as I can find it's page fifteen. It's just I, I remember yeah, when you read oh, it. And, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. this poem. So, um, yeah, th- this poem is an audience participation poem. Well, that's right. Yes. We're, we're, So, um, it's a call and response. Right. Only. My dress is not a yes. A cocktail is not a yes. Maybe is not a yes. A kiss is not a yes. The last yes is not a yes. The failure to inquire is not a yes. Dating your friend is not a yes. My tattoos are not a yes. My smart mouth is not a yes. My heavy breasts are not a yes. Tomorrow's date is not a retroactive yes. Our marriage is not a yes. My age is not a yes. The ten I fucked before you are not a yes. The tab you paid is not a yes. A ride home is not a yes. Your lust is not a yes. Not fighting back is not a yes. Passed out is not a yes. Silence is not a yes. Is not a yes. Is not a yes. yes. Such a great poem, and, and and it still gives me shivers when I hear you read it. So it, Thank it, you. it's it's great. That's that's. And, and anything more about this subject? In your... Oh, I have a few, I have a few things yeah, yeah. to add. What, yeah, like I to remember add? seeing Natalie you reading that. The, yeah. the most effective I thought was uh, the the smaller room that for the Auto Arts View launch oh, a few months ago. Yes. It was a very a very effective uh, um, reading because the the entire room was engaged and you could not be engaged uh, with that poem. It was very it was very powerful. I've read the poem in, in large rooms and then that very very small intimate room, which which just happened as a result of needing to to have poems that we could read at volume that right. night um, because so of great. the ambient noise. And it was wonderful to have mm-hmm. that kind of participation. Mm-hmm. That's your rock star. But I, I think every poet, at least I've run it, has a rock star poem. It's the poem where people say, "Can you read that poem again?" Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, people remember it, and uh, when you read it, they people sort of uh, mm-hmm. they need it in mm-hmm. some ways. That's yours. I wanted to to say a couple of words about the uh, bird Philomela yes, yeah. as as well, if I could. Um, 
that was put together actually immediately after the cutting up chat book mm-hmm. um, because after the the Gomeshi trial I had a lot of people and after the launch of this chat book I had a lot of people approach me saying that they wished that they could write poems that way or that they had written poems in this vein um, but, but they didn't know what to do with them and it was yeah. exciting for them to see to see poems of this nature being sort of presented from a position of power so I wanted to do something to honor that that's great yeah and um, you created a space that was really necessary I was really hoping to yeah. to create it in a safe way and yeah. and it was, know, it was one good. of one of the um, the things that was really heartening about the launch and, and yeah. I think you might have both been there at yeah, that we launch, were, but, yeah. uh, was that kind of an event has the uh, potential to be very heavy, very, very dark. Yeah, it was good. It wasn't it wasn't overly like it was it, it was more uplifting, I thought, than dark. I and mean, those were the comments that I received yeah. from the authors uh, who participated. It was in petrifying to read members. aloud yes. at that event. I'm yeah. not usually mm-hmm. too afraid anymore to read. I found that I almost I had a hard time reading those poems. And uh, I, uh, I had let uh, the participants know that they had their choice as yeah, to whether or not they wished to. to and they didn't have to and I thought it was incredibly kind and generous um, for them to have done so so I don't think for example that that poetry was in any way compromised or diminished yeah. uh, for being used to benefit the Ottawa Rape Crisis Center not at all. I actually thought it was it was quite enhanced so I was I feel very privileged to have been able to facilitate that yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you did. I, I still, I always want to hug you every time. With oh. that. Well, I always want to hug you anyway, so that's all right. What were you going to say something yeah, else? Yeah, I had a follow-up question. If, yeah. if now's a good time, um, and this this idea that I, I come back to often about also being a very politically engaged person mm-hmm. about the role of poetry, how we'd like to use poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might be a tension, perhaps, between self-expression and political argumentation mm-hmm. so there's you know there's our our um, tendency or our desire to you know express ourselves on how we're feeling about a situation and get it all out there and then there's the potentially competing interest of convincing people or making some kind of argument to support <laughs> our views and i think this is true not just the poetry but with with all art and 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 true in other in other uh, mediums as well do you do you feel a tension between just self-expression and getting your feelings out there or your ideas out there versus how you're framing something as a an argument or a perspective well i will say that there are there are some times where i am more careful than others uh in the way that i am i'm crafting something but ultimately i'm writing for myself Mm -hmm. uh, because i find that that produces the most successful writing uh, if I'm if I'm writing from from my experiences and my observations versus writing with the goal to try and convince someone, that is a more successful and genuine piece of writing yeah. for me, mm-hmm. uh, more authentic piece of writing for me. Uh, I think that if um, it, and it, and it certainly has its place, but if you are th- thinking about writing to convince, you're engaging in in uh, a different kind of an art. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about things like political speech writing and and uh, that vein, there is a value to that. But that's not what I am doing personally. Mm-hmm. And would you say there's a even in your other forms of other parts of your life that aren't necessarily creating poetry? Would you say that you you separate that with your poetry writing versus say you're you're practicing as a lawyer? 
Yes, I mean, my my uh, my approach to legal practice is informed by a feminist ethic, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that is that does not come out in what I counsel a person to do. That comes right. out in the way I treat the person mm-hmm. who's yeah. in front of me and make sure that they have options that are open to them. Uh, we it's not it's not something that um, that you um, impose upon another person because you don't know their experiences and you don't know what they're open to. Mm-hmm. And that's not what they're there to, to get from me in a professional capacity, right? Mm-hmm. But um, where, I have, where I've had opportunities to do some public speaking uh, uh, linked to poetry, I've been very lucky that, that, uh, that those organizations have welcomed me to do it from a feminist viewpoint as mm-hmm. well. So I really, I, I feel that, you know, if the if if one of the the goals of poetry is the expression of our of our souls and our labor and our minds and and how how we how we feel about the world if if that's one of the goals uh, it's it's almost impossible in certain respects to separate mm-hmm. the poetic from the political and mm-hmm. uh for for some for some types of writing mm-hmm. um so i i think that there is there's room for all of those things in there Okay, that was right. a pretty good answer. Yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> Usually, I have many follow-ups. I'm like, oh, that, that kind of covers it, actually. <laughs> we actually don't need to do much. Of, I, mean, I have, I guess, we do have one more question, and of course, it's full of compliments. So I should, I should, I should get to it. Uh, your poems are eloquent, intelligent, compassionate, witty, earthy, sensual, and feisty as hell. Uh, so I'd like to know what kind of water do you drink no um what is your reading list and who are your influences okay so i'm just gonna fan myself to yes. get the blush down here now because <laughs> that was really kind thank you um so i, I guess my influences are all over the place yeah I'm sitting down and trying trying to think about you know where i came from what i'm doing where i'm going and so i, I guess earlier influences um would include uh, the romantics and and Sappho and, and Homer's Odyssey and Greek and Roman and Egyptian mythology. And then in the in the late 90s, a huge influence for me was Tamara Fairchild, who was engaged in quite a lot of feminist poetry at that time. Uh, Bronwyn Wallace, Agnes Walsh, Neruda Atwood, uh, George Eliot Clark, Doolittle, uh, Michael Andachi, Stephanie Bolster. Uh, but also my poetry is in, informed by... Um, a lot of prose writers as well. Yeah. Uh, some favorites are Naguib Mahfouz, who was a famous uh, Egyptian uh, novelist, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, yeah. Anne-Marie McDonald's Magic Realism, uh, Milan Kundera, Tom Robbins, Banana Yoshimoto, uh, Natalie Sarote. Um, a lot of music in there as well. I mean, music is definitely a lovely creative source. Uh, more, more recently, um, Sandra Ridley, Amal El-Motar, Pearl Peary, Robin Richardson, Brecken Hancock, Lillian Allen, who I've been reading for 20 years oh, and yeah, just adoring, yeah. you know, the power of her writing, yeah. uh, Kenya, uh, Kenya Onyebula, Dion Brand, and Elle Jones. And in terms of, of things that I read now, whatever comes my way, you know, uh, what I read on the regulars is Poetry Magazine, Matrix, uh, my, my Above Ground subscription, Manola Review, Cantheus, things like this. Um, and some authors that I'm enjoying lately are Doyali Islam and okay. Kyle Vizi. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's great. And, and the other thing too, so I was going to say you, you had done a, you and Liam Burkhart where we were working on a collaboration at one point and that, to me that was a very, um, a very surrealistic, like kind of a departure from a lot of your, where? Uh, 
We're See? still working. Yeah, on I figure you're still working, but I was trying to. Liam just... Burke, if you're listening, yeah. hurry up. <laughs> no, uh, it's a it's a labor of love, but yeah. it is still a work in progress because after time, after time, you feel differently about poems that you oh, that you've yes, written. You do. <laughs> and and that collaboration is looking uh, sort of at the machine nature of the body and the way that the mm-hmm. body has been employed as a machine uh, throughout time as well. So there's a, there's a lot of fertile ground in there's there. A little bit yeah. of Battlestar Galactica influence, maybe. <laughs> I'm my husband and I are rewatching. Yeah. Battlestar for the third time because we've been sick so we haven't been able to do a lot so now we're just at the the season the end of season three again so Mm -hmm. all that stuff is very poetic and and that made me think of Foucault which was a very different (laughs) different interpretation there you go Foucault there you go Foucault to Battlestar Galactica you've heard it here any other we've got room for it all that's right (laughs) any other questions or or comments while we I think I've no I think I'm good okay well I might say to keep your eyes and ears open for an upcoming May show. Oh. Uh, I'm going to be a, a guest of J.D. Hobbs and Natasha Cleary, who are a Montreal storyteller and a poet who are amazing. Uh, they're coming to Ottawa in mid-May, and uh, we'll also be joined by Jamal Jackson cool. uh, for a night there. So that should be a lot of and fun. And that will be the, well, part of Sawdust or another nope, thing? No, that will It'll be, be separate. That'll be in May, and the show is called Blood and Bones. Oh, that's a great title. A little bit of a racy show. Ooh, racy okay. shirts. Yeah. Sounds good. We you got the scoop here on the Small Machine Talks. Thank you very much, Natalie. Thank, Thank you. Natalie. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. <laughs>